the horror role of a small Overberg town. Five women and girls murdered in the most gruesome and brutal way in the space of just six years. Anin, Katie, Alda, Sunita and Jodin, all young, all with their lives to live, all murdered. In this episode, we ask whether there's any hope for Bridaasdorp, the little inland town that its mayor describes like this. The southernmost municipality on the African continent, where the two oceans meet. Community worker Lana O'Neill has been involved in supporting the families of almost all the Bridaasdorp's highest profile victims. She also runs a shelter. Over the five years that she's run the centre, she's helped almost 400 women and children. The work she does is deeply personal for her and very much tied to her own life story. We're keeping the women safe, they cared for, they, we treat them with dignity and respect because a lot of them don't have any support out there, not from the families or friends. I was sexually abused at the age of 11 years old, but the difference is I had the support of family. Those people don't have the support. There's no one. She and Krishna, that's Krishna Prince, the grandma of five-year-old Katie Williams, are on call 24-7. And while the shelter can only house women for three months at a time, Lana sees the colour outside the lines at times. We look at the situation and see where is this woman going to? What is the next step for this woman and the children? And we see, like, if they don't have a shack or something, we look for sing sheets we try to assist them to come sustainable and to be on their own we help wherever we can i get many phone calls from outside 24 7 my phone is on i go i drive if i get a police call me i know it must be someone who needs help uh, or they will go to christmas house and say please i need you but sometimes it feels like a losing battle. The stories are endless from the very first woman they helped. The mother was forced to tick with the boyfriend and then he actually took an axe and hurt her on her arm and he wanted to hurt the baby also. To the women who ran the shelter in desperation. My daughter is hiding in a cupboard for the past two nights because the boyfriend is looking for her with a chainsaw at night. It seems never-ending and doomed to run on a repeating cycle. There's no support services after the person go out here. They go back to that. I believe in the reintegration of family, but we don't have the means to do that. So we focus on the woman. We focus on that woman and child who comes in here. And then we will refer to the social workers and they must work with the family. They must do those interventions. And you know what we really need? Psychologists, psychiatrists. That's what we need for men, women, for the whole community. If they get help, if there's programs, sustainable programs. Not once I get money, Heavenly Promise get money, 150,000 rand in three months, that program has to be finished. It's not sustainable. This lack of sustainable support services is something Cape Ogala's Deputy Mayor, Sukiswa Tusini, has very firmly on her radar too. She's been present at some of the court cases of the women and children murdered in the area and she sees the need for safe spaces for women in the longer term. We need a long-term shelter where if a woman is in an abusive relationship, she wants to get out, she goes to that safe house. That safe house empowers her 
for the longest time, even if it's six months to a year, until she finds her feet. But also in that system, it must empower you so that you go and look for a job. It must allow you to go look for a job and you must come in and out, coming from work until you find your feet and then you can move and go stay on your own. I think that is the one thing that is only missing. So we, there is a gap in that field where we need an NGO or someone that has money that can build a permanent, a semi-permanent shelter for women that needs to get out of toxic relationship. They are able to stand on their feet and then they can go out and be the strongest woman they can, that they can be. She tells us when she first took on a role of deputy mayor, the municipality had a budget of just 100,000 rand for human-based interventions. That budget has increased considerably, but still amounts to just a half a million rand. A lot of the interventions that are happening at local government level are long plays, and they're largely geared to the economic upliftment. In many ways, the approach makes sense. This is a working-class area with high levels of unemployment and the average annual income of just 30,000 rand a year. There are street market projects, a hood shopping project that's by all accounts thriving. The mayor of the Ugalis District Municipality, Paul Swartz, tells us they feel like they're making progress. In this past year and a half, we have reached agreements with the various contractors in our town that are busy you know, building houses and to empower our local uh, contractors with subcontracting in order to provide jobs. Uh, further encourage uh, the employment of local citizens, especially women. A project that is currently being run out of my office where young men and women are encouraged to use this project to empower themselves, to create jobs within the community. Uh, we have success stories uh, within this area where some of our local entrepreneurs, they deliver at the moment between 40 and 50,000 pieces of dry wood and you can do your own calculations at uh, approximately 80 cents per piece. Then they could employ our local people. And we also have our street market project where uh, men and women can utilize this platform to sell the homemade product. This pro uh, project, you know, consists of 80% women. But economic upliftment takes time, and it seems there's little by way of sustained immediate interventions to deal with the problems faced in this area now. Everyone we spoke to in the town and surrounds pointed to serious issues of alcohol and substance abuse. Wandering around Pridastor, it's clear there's little to do. There are more taverns than parks and community facilities. SAP's cluster commander Donovan Helbron says he raised that issue with the Deputy Minister of Justice. The challenge in the small rural town is there's a, lack, a serious lack of, of recreational facilities. I mean, off weekends, after hours, there is absolutely nothing for these kids to do. We are working tirelessly with neighborhood watches, with CPFs and other non-governmental structures to ensure that, you know, our children are being occupied, they have after-school facilities, but it remains a challenge. We still need to cater even for the older kids, you know, because a 17, 18-year-old is not going to play in the park. So we need to find ways to stimulate them and to keep even them occupied. In terms of the search for justice for the victims, there's some hope placed in the newly constituted Sexual Offences Court. 
the one serving the Overberg was officially opened just before the nation went into national lockdown. So the sexual offence court, it has to bring not necessarily only arrest and convict, but the awareness that needs to come out of that office, that needs to, to teach our people that, you know what, we need to work together, we need to live together, we can't hurt each other. I know about it because I was fortunate, I'm a deputy mayor, I knew about it. But does Antisara know about the Sexual Offence Court and the services that the Sexual Offence Court can bring? So those are the expectations that I'm expecting to see that the court has enough human staff to make sure that the language that is spoken in the Sexual Offence Court, because remember, Capacalus is Africans and Isikosa. It won't help if you have all the posters in English and no one can read them, no one can understand them. Is it accessible to the most, most vulnerable person in our community? We need to mention here that we reached out to the NPA to find out about staffing levels at the Overberg Sexual Offences Court. After several attempts over a period of two weeks, no answers have been forthcoming. We also posed some specific questions to SAPS about the levels of staffing in the area and the skill levels they can access when it comes to investigating kinds of cases the area sees. Two weeks on and multiple attempts later, silence. It doesn't bode well for the people of Bridas, Durp and Sadowns that such simple questions go unanswered. In Parliament this week, the Police Portfolio Committee heard that a new Divisional Head of Forensics is said to be appointed. The hope is that beefing up a depleted forensic division will help clear the backlog of GBV cases across the nation and also secure more convictions, creating a deterrent to men who think they can rape and murder and get away with it. Earlier this year, the President also promised a refocused effort. Making strides on gender-based violence has been a goal that he has reaffirmed multiple times. There's a new plan. It's 84 pages long. But all the speeches and plans in the world do little to ease the pain of the victims' families. People like Krishna Prince, the grandmother of five-year-old Katie Williams, who has had to live with the fact that the grandchild's murder is unsolved, unpunished and off the police's radar. People like Cyril Peters, the uncle of Jodine, whose rape and murder was grotesquely violent, even Barbara does to standards. There's many times I really, he really can't sleep for this thing is still chasing me. Jodine's case also remains unsolved, a family unable to find peace. Seven years after Nin Boysen's murder made global headlines, it seems a lot of the women and men of Pridasdorp hasn't changed that much. As we drive away from Pridasdorp, the surrounding countryside is green and alive, following good winter rains. And as the Overberg town grows smaller in the rearview mirror, you could almost forget that it's been a scene of such carnage.